The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Every once in a while it occurs to me, kind of in a new, fresh way, what it is that we do when we meet together and we open up the Word of God. That we believe tonight the Bible in front of us is the Word of God that it is given to us by God, that he wrote it down, and that we believe that it is a living book, that it speaks to us where we're at now. We believe that we have the Holy Ghost, God himself, living inside of us, and as we get into his, his word, the Holy Ghost speaks to our heart. It's, it really is an incredible thing what we get the opportunity to do when we meet together, um, and really an incredible thing we get to do every time we open up the Bible. And so I hope we don't lose the wonder of that. So reading this week, and I heard a story I thought was really interesting. It, it begins in the late 19th century. There was a city boy named Winston from England who traveled to Scotland and went swimming in a secluded lake. Unfortunately, as a city boy, he didn't understand that he couldn't just eat lunch and then go swimming right away. And so what he did is he he ate a bunch of food, and then he decided he was going to try and cross this really big lake here in Scotland. And he's here by himself, and so he gets into the middle of this lake. He's been swimming for a while. He's dead tired, and he gets like the worst cramps you can imagine. And so, I mean, Winston, is he's stuck. And he doesn't know what he's going to do, so he just starts shouting and shouting with all the strength he has left. He's screaming for help. Well, there's another boy, a boy named Alex, and and this boy is a farm boy, and he hears him from just a a few hills away, and so he runs to the lake, he takes off his trousers, he jumps in the water, he swims out to him, and he saves Winston's life. And, And it's a pretty incredible thing. So needless to say that Winston is very grateful for the salvation he received at the hands of this boy named Alex. The story goes on and explains how years later, these two boys meet again, and now they're heading off to college. And they just happen to run into each other, and so Winston brings Alex back to his house to meet his parents, and, and he reminds them of the story of how he was once drowning in a lake, and that this is the boy that saved him. And so his parents are very wealthy, Winston's are, and, and they find out that Alex is interested in going to medical school. And so they say, hey, Alex, you go to medical school, we will pay all of your bills for all of your university, and so just go, and we owe you at least that. And so Alex soon becomes a a wonderful doctor and a bacteriologist. And along with two, eventually, along with two of his research partners, he develops a a medicine, a drug, that would be helpful for many, many people in the future. During the Second World War, Winston contracts pneumonia. And it's very serious. It's life-threatening. And he's literally laying on what could be his deathbed, And he is given this drug, this new drug, that Alex ultimately um, helped to uh, discover. And it saves his life. And so now we have Winston being saved for the second time by this boy Alex, and and partially because of his parents' gratefulness and what what they did to give back. Now, I don't know if you've heard this story before. Uh, I think it's an incredible story. But the man's name, Alex, was actually... Alexander Fleming, and he's the man who invented uh, penicillin. He received a a Nobel Peace Prize for it. And the man 
who was saved from the lake and then from pneumonia is Winston Churchill. So it's, it's pretty neat to, to hear the background of this great story that begins with a foolish decision. It leads to an unlikely salvation. It forms an unexpected relationship that become, it becomes better and better as the details are filled in. As you, as you hear the story, and at first it's like, oh, that's pretty neat that this little boy saved this other boy, and then you, you hear they bump into each other. It, just the story seems to get better and better as time goes on, as details are filled in. And ultimately, it affects the course of Winston's salvation, his life, and the salvation of many others. As we know, Winston Churchill have a, had a huge impact on the Second World War and the outcome of it. And so, I thought that was just a, a great story about a rescued kid, and it was a story that for me illustrated how as we get more and more details of the salvation, it just seems to get better and better. If you turn your Bibles tonight to 1 Peter, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 1, but we're going to focus our attention tonight on verses 10 to 13. So verses 1 to 9 will just be kind of a reminder of where we're at. We've been in the book of 1 Peter for a few months now, but we haven't actually been in that many sermons here, maybe not as many as it seems, because... Um, there's just keep being other stuff going on on Sunday nights. And so I'm excited to be back in tonight. And we'll start reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom, though now you see him not, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. This is just a reminder of where we're at so far, but we see in this introduction that, that Peter explains who he is, and he explains who he's talking about, he's, he, who he's talking to. He's talking to those, these people who are strangers in the world they live. Why are they strangers? Because they're citizens of heaven. Because they're children of God now. And so he says, I'm writing to you and I'm reminding you of how awesome your salvation is. How wonderful it is that, that, that God showed this abundant mercy that he sent his son to die for you. And that even though you will go through all of these trials and temptations of your life, even these trials are actually for your benefit because they will increase your faith. And ultimately, we have to look forward, we have to look forward to a incorruptible undefiled inheritance that someday will be ours. Someday we will be in heaven with God for eternity. And so he begins, it's just like, what an incredible beginning to a letter. 
Like straight out of the gate, we're talking about the glory of the gospel and eternity and heaven. And though this life is difficult and though we'll go through trials, we have something so much greater to look forward to. So Peter starts off well. And so now what he does in verses 10 to 13, or 10 to 12 at least, he is trying to get us as excited as possible about the salvation that we have. He's trying to remind us how incredible it is, what a possession we possess. Well, let's just get into it and we'll see what he's talking about. Verse number 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. He says there's prophets of the past, and we think immediately of the, of the incredible prophets in the Old Testament who were communing with God and bringing messages directly from God to God's people. And he says these prophets have sought out and they've explored, they, they've inquired and searched diligently. He's emphasizing how excited and passionate they were about this salvation that we possess. Of the grace that would come to us. They were amazed at what they knew, but they wanted more. And the grace that they were thinking about, and the grace that they were talking about, is something that we fully experience. Now, this is, this is a really neat thing. It's a really neat concept, because we're talking about the Old Testament prophets. Now, how were the prophets saved? How were the Old Testament saints saved? It was by grace, by faith, by grace through faith, right? So it, it wasn't that they were saved in a completely different way than us. But we have this incredible benefit of being able to understand the full story of Christ and what he did and his life and his death and his resurrection and and seeing how all those pieces fit together. And so what the Old Testament prophets were doing is they were saying, yes, I know that God's going to provide a salvation and I just want to know more about it. I just want to understand more. Now they still experienced when they put their faith in, in God to save them, they experienced salvation. They're in heaven now. But for them, they were just so enamored by what God was going to do to save them and what God was going to do in the future. And we get to look back and see that happen. So all of that salvation that they're speaking of, that they're searching and inquiring about, we fully know. Verse number 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So they are searching. Again, they're investigating what or who. So they're investigating who this person is going to be. Right? They, don't, they don't fully understand all of God's plan. And so they just want to know a little bit more about who God is going to send to save them or what manner of time, when it's going to happen. You know, Daniel gets a little bit of an idea. And, and so... He, He's given a little bit of a timeline there, but they don't, they don't get it, right? And so they're so obsessed almost, so passionate about knowing about the salvation that was to come. That that's what they, they spent their time, their free time thinking about. It's what they, they wanted to know. And it's cool to think that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, has come into them to signify, to point them to this salvation and to to give them messages for them to give to their people and ultimately those messages are for us to look back on and say yes Christ fulfilled all of that and so when Christ comes we see his story and we say that's everything that the prophets were talking about Christ has fulfilled so all of what they were doing was for our benefit 
we understand because of the prophets what sufferings should be expected. And when we see the sufferings of Christ, we fully understand what they were talking about. We understand that Christ would die, but his body would not decay. That three days later, he would rise again from the dead. Forty days after that, he would ascend to heaven. We understand the glory that was to follow. Things that they could only see in a, as a, in a foggy distance. So they're, they're on this, this mountaintop looking across a mountain range and just seeing the peaks and wanting to know so much more about what's going on there. And we get to see those. I mean, we get, to, we get the whole story in the, in the Word of God by eyewitnesses for us. And so they're just giving us glimpses. Verse number 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look. You see this? It just gets better and better. So these things were revealed for our benefit, and now the Holy Ghost has come into the apostles and into the evangelists, and now these people are now being empowered by the Holy Ghost to bring this amazing, incredible message that the Old Testament prophets could barely see a little bit of, and now they fully have it, and the Holy Ghost is bringing that message to us. This message is so good, it's so amazing, it's so great, that the angels desire to look into it. I mean, even the angels, you think about what the angels experience all the time. I mean, they get to, to comprehend what's going on in this earth. They, they get to see, do you ever realize that like everything on this earth kind of baffles you a little bit? You ever feel that way? I feel that way really often, like, like Wi-Fi. What is Wi-Fi? I mean, I get that when I connect, when I punch in my phone, then all of a sudden I can get connected to the World Wide Web. But how does the thing work like going through space, right? Or, or your brain. Did you ever think about like how your brain works and like how memories work and stuff? Like all of those things, just, they just baffle me. We could go on and on. Why is Tim Horton's coffee so addictive? You know, why does Pastor hate Facebook so much? <laughs> There's just these, these mysteries of life that, that nobody knows. And yet these angels are privy to this information. Right? I mean, and they, they get to be in heaven with God, glorifying God, and then God sends them on these special missions. So they get to, to tell Mary that she's going to have a virgin birth and that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Um, they get to be there at the ascension. They, they get to be there at all these special times in the life of Christ. They get to kind of have an overview of everything that's going on here. They get to understand this world. And yet these creatures who just have, it seems like, unlimited access are enamored by the salvation that we experience. I mean, the the angels desire to look into it. And so God sends the Holy Ghost from heaven to men so that they will bring the gospel to us so that we can understand and appreciate our salvation. And so in verse 13, we get the wherefore. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For the last 13 verses, Peter has just been giving us reason after reason after reason that we should praise and glorify God for his salvation. And now in verse 13, we begin to get the wherefore, and over the next few verses, he'll lay out what what now our knowledge and understanding of the gospel requires of us in our lives. And it begins here. He begins with, gird up the loins of your mind. Essentially, tuck in your mind cloak and get ready to think. Okay, so they would gird up their loins. Men, or whoever wanted to run, they would be wearing this big cloak. And so they would take their cloak and they would stick it in their belt so they could run freely. And he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to, to think very seriously about something. Um, to think soberly about something. Um, sit up straight. Focus your attention. Don't be cloudy in how you're viewing things. Look to the word of God. Get a good understanding. Um, don't, don't just be whimsical in your thinking. Don't be carried away with all these silly doctrines of the world. Um, pay attention to what God is doing and what the Bible says. That's what he's trying to get us to do. And so he, he begins by saying, God has provided this unbelievable, indescribable salvation for you. You have all of these benefits. Yes, you're going to suffer a little bit, a little bit throughout your life, but, but that's nothing compared to eternity. Um, we have a salvation that's so incredible that the prophets wish they could understand more of it, that the angels desire to look on into the whole, that the Holy Ghost was sent specifically to give it to us. It is so incredible, and now we need to, to get ready to think and to be sober and to be serious and to hope to the end for the grace that is, is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's just maintaining that hope. Keeping that hope central in your mind until the day that it's finally fully revealed to you. And that's what we're to do. Now, there's a lot more wherefore where that comes from. And we'll get into that next, next time, I think two weeks from now. But I just wanted us to realize that all of this information and all of this excitement is great. But it, there does need to be a wherefore in our lives. Right? There needs to be a point in our lives where we say, this is incredible, therefore I'm going to do this. Therefore, I'm going to think differently. Therefore, I am going to be a little bit more serious about the hope that is in me. Therefore, I'm not just going to follow every um, worldly, exciting thing that comes across. Therefore, I'm actually going to pay attention to the gospel and to the God that wrote the Bible. So, by way of application, I wanted us to understand why salvation is so great. Because I think Peter writes this section... Because he longs for his readers to remember just how incredible God's plan of salvation is. And how fortunate they are and we are to, be, to have been included in it. So here are some reasons that we should be in awe of our salvation. Number one, it was the dream and ministry of the prophets. Imagine you're a prophet living in Old Testament Israel. And you get to commune with God. And God gives you these foggy glimpses of what's to come, of what he's going to do in the future. Can you imagine when Isaiah is writing Isaiah chapter 53, what he's thinking? I mean, what he's, he's trying to, to understand. See, it's hard for us because we look back at Isaiah 53, and it's just crystal clear for us, right? And that is the benefit of us being where we sit now. But, I mean, God comes to Isaiah and reveals this to him, and, and Isaiah is seeing for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. What, what exactly are you talking about, God? Why is there no beauty in this one that you're going to send? 
He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I mean, I wonder what he's thinking as he writes those words. Why is he despised? Why would he be rejected? Why are you sending this man of sorrows? Oh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I wonder what he's thinking. Just trying to piece this all together, trying to understand this incredible salvation. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And Isaiah's thinking, I don't want to get it. I don't understand why this guy's so sad and why he's so rejected, but I do get that somehow he's going he's gonna to carry my sorrows and my burdens. Somehow he's going to forgive my sin. Through, through what he does, he is going to take that from me. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And see, so for Isaiah, it's just, the, the plan is distant and it's foggy. But some of the key details that the Lord is going to lay on him, the iniquity of us all, those things are coming together. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep for his shears is dumb so he opened not his mouth. And here, speaking of his death, and understanding that, that somehow this one that is sent, that would carry our sorrows, is going to be brought as a lamb and slaughtered. See, Isaiah is just seeing glimpses. And that is, this, this whole thing is just what the, the prophets would dream of and wish they understood more. I think of Daniel, or David, as he's writing Psalm 22 and he's describing the crucifixion. And it's like, David never seen, has never seen a crucifixion before. The crucifixion didn't exist when he wrote Psalm 22. It was an invention of the Romans later on. He describes this scene of dogs compassing me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And he's thinking, what? People surrounding me, compassing me about all around me, and then piercing my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. And he's thinking, how is this ever going to happen? How, is, how am I going to be able to see all of my bones? The only way I can do that is if I'm just stretched out like this. They part my garments among them, and they cast lots upon my vesture. He's describing this crucifixion scene that is so clear to us. And for him, it was just this thing that he couldn't get out of his mind, that he thought about it, and he had glimpses of. And we get to understand the whole story. We are so blessed. We can move on into Daniel chapter 12. And this is just a, an example of Daniel literally writing that he wanted to know more. Daniel 12 verse 8 says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall the end of these things? And so he's saying, Lord, what's going on? I don't get what I'm writing. I'm writing these things about the future, but I don't understand them. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 9, God says, and he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And who's living in the end times? We are. So these things are, are closed and sealed up, and they'll all make sense someday for this group of people. How blessed we are. Jesus explained when he was on the earth why sometimes he spoke in parables. And he did it because he wanted, 
he, he didn't want it to be as accessible to everybody as possible. And so he explains why, and he says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, Blessed are your ears, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. There's people that are just desiring this. And we have it. We've heard it. We've seen it. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. This is the, the great men and women of the past who just followed God despite incredible obstacles. But when we take kind of just a little break, when the writer of Hebrews takes a little break and he just provides some idea of what these men and women are thinking, he explains to us that they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And so, so these promises that are so incredible that we possess, they knew were there. And, and so they embraced them, but they couldn't fully possess them yet. And so we are very, very blessed. It was the dream and the ministry of the prophets. Not only did the prophets dream about it and think about it and want to know more about it, but it was their ministry to us. And so someday we go to heaven and we go up to David and we say, David, thank you for helping me to understand and see who the Messiah was. And help, thank you for writing about him for me. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, thank you for your ministry to me. It's amazing how God uses people throughout the ages um, to minister to one another. Number two, the gospel, our salvation is amazing because angels have their hearts set upon it. And the idea of desiring it is almost this, this idea of covetousness where it, their heart is just set upon it. They just want to know. They, they, they desire to know. If you were an angel and you had communication with God, what would be your greatest dream? What would you daydream about? What would you wish you understood more? And we have the answer. They wish they understood more of the gospel. And they spend their time learning and growing and understanding it. Do you know what's amazing about angels? Is that someday they will stand in heaven with believers, those who have been redeemed, and sing the praises of redemption. If you look at the scenes there, angels are, are there with us and they're singing along with us and they're glorifying God for his grace and his redemption. Now, angels, they don't experience that kind of redemption. They don't experience the grace, but they've spent so much time looking into it and seeing person after person experience the grace of God and the redemption of God that now they can truly glorify God and say, God, I can't believe what you did with Dan Smolders. <laughs> right? I can't believe what you did with Carolyn Walker. And so they can see what God does in our lives and they can praise him for his greatness because they spend their time just amazed that the God who is the creator of the universe would then die for his people who have rebelled against him. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, all of us have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're the ones that messed up. And so God just doesn't, doesn't pretend like it never happened and start again. Like he could have. 
God has a plan already in place before the foundation of the world of how he is going to redeem these sin-sick people. And the angels can't believe it. They can't, they can't fathom how God is so incredible that he would do this. And I just believe as we look at this, we should be more impressed with our salvation. If the prophets just couldn't stop thinking about it and trying to piece it together and reading each other's writings just to try and learn a little bit more of the small glimpses they have, and then we have angels who are just, they know everything. I mean, they know a lot of things. And they just want to spend their time looking deeper and deeper into the gospel. And finally, we have the apostles are empowered by the Holy Ghost to bring us the message. So if all those things weren't enough, we have God himself empowering people to bring this message to us. It is an incredible message. What, an ama- what amazing grace God showed us. Why would he become a servant? Why would he do that for us? It's love. It's that God chose to show this unbelievable love to us. And we often live our lives like that barely exists. We often live our lives like the gospel is an afterthought. Like the salvation we have is something we're kind of grateful for when, you know, when we're reminded of it on Sunday. But it's, it's not something that we just live our lives for. It's not how it's supposed to be. We've sung the song before in our church, May I Never Lose the Wonder, the Wonder of the Cross. And the writer says, May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy, left speechless watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. That is a good prayer for us to pray. May we go back to that time when we were lost and we understood our lostness. We understood that without Christ, we, we were nothing. We were destined to hell. We were sinners. And because of the cross and because of his salvation, we have this brand new future that we could never have on our own. We have this brand new relationship with him. When it was once we were enemies, now we're sons, we're children. We have this this day to look forward to when we get to see him and be with him forever. And we ought not lose the wonder of the cross. I began this evening with a story. It was the story of the boy who was rescued from drowning. And we said it began with a foolish decision. It led to an unlikely salvation. It formed an unexpected relationship. It became better and better as the details are filled in. And ultimately, it affects the course of his salvation and the salvation of many others. Now, we read that story and we think, yeah, it's it's amazing how that happened in history. But I've got a better story for you tonight. The story so great that prophets have been dying to know more about it for centuries. Story so amazing that angels still contemplate it. Story so valuable that God sent his Holy Spirit to empower men to bring it to us. And it begins with a foolish decision. It begins in the garden. 
believing a lie. It begins with our sin. It leads to an unlikely salvation that the one who is offended dies for the offender at the offender's hands. It forms an unexpected relationship that enemies of God are transformed into being his children. That the heart that once was dark and hopeless and helpless and lost is now invaded by the presence of God. It becomes better and better as the details are filled in. The more we know about God, the greater he is. Pastor has been really harping lately on just us understanding the God of the Bible, and that is so essential. Because when you grasp the God of the Bible, it has to be so much better than we can ever imagine him. So as soon as we start putting God in the box of, he is just these things, I'm really comfortable with that, we lose the grandeur of God. He is so much better than we can imagine. And so it becomes better and better as the details are filled in because, yes, you were saved and it was wonderful then, but what should happen is that the more you live in Christ and the more you understand your own sinfulness and the more you understand his greatness, the more you can't comprehend why he would ever do that for you. And it becomes better and better as the details are filled in. As God works, we are amazed at what he has done. As the future unfolds, more and more details fall into place. Can you imagine how we'll think of the gospel in eternity? When we look back at this life, when we get a more full picture, when we fully understand our sinfulness, when we, like the angels, spend time contemplating it? It'd be wonderful if we could have more of that mindset and that attitude while we're living this life, and there's still this wherefore. Wherefore, in this life, we've got some stuff to do. Wherefore, we need to think clearly. We need to hope to the end. We need to take our life as believers seriously. This salvation, it's not only for us. Now that we possess it, it's for us to share with many others. And so may we as believers be amazed at our salvation and be motivated by it to live lives that bring glory to God. Let's pray.